This week's show, The King and His Court, is dedicated to my first fast pitch softball coach, Mr. Wayne Long Sr. Thank you for your steady mentorship during the shaky period of my life, and thank you for telling me this story. I miss you, coach. Rest in peace, Godspeed, and time when I dim the glory of your deeds. If you are a batter in baseball, you have seen a ball come in, a real fastball that they strike out on, goes up about two inches, and just a high fastball that just rises a hill. Mm-hmm. And that's a, if you're a good pitcher, that's the one you give for the third strike, because they'll hit at the ball, and a ball just goes up and up. They also curves, drops, gravity is involved in baseball. Softball is just the opposite. You have to purposely throw a ball into the ground because the ball is so low to the ground. If you bring it up at any and drop it, you drop it right in the hitting zone. So for you to throw a drop like they would say in baseball would be a sucker pitch because they would just clock it. But if you throw a raise that goes about eight inches up and in and out, I have no idea what to do with it. So the easiest guy to strike out is a major league ball player. A minor league ball player who played softball as a kid probably would hit it. But if Mickey Mantle and DiMaggio and Williams and, and uh, Babe Ruth, Pete Paul, Rose, Pete Rose they have no idea how to raise the bat above the ball. And it's not a big deal. Any good softball, any good softball pitcher could have done what I did that day. I don't think that's true. Eddie's very humble. But anyhow, I did back It's pretty tough. Oh yeah. But anyhow, the. The philosophy behind uh, the, the grandeur of hitting a ball, uh, I pitched to Mickey Mantle about a hundred times and struck him out almost every time. Occasionally he did a long fly. And uh, he admitted he never played fast pitch when he was a young kid. I knew him ever since he was 14. And uh, after we'd done about 10 or 15 shows together, four or five shows a day for a whole week, he started fouling it off the bottom and hitting it up in the air. So after we'd gone through this a couple of weeks, I told him, I said, Mick, you know, we ought to choreograph this thing. Why don't I just throw you two fast races, then I'll give you one right down the slot and you can hit it about 400 feet. The crowd will love that. Well, for the next 50, 60 days, we did that show. And here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez now. The fastball swung on at the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back and it is. Get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a grand salami. And the Mariners lead it 10-6. I don't believe it. From high atop the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex and straight out of God's country, Pauley's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, J. 
Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. Welcome in to our little weekly baseball show. I like to call it Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. I'm Jake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Half man, half podcast machine. So it looks like we're now going to lose about a week of spring training here in 2022. And uh, it doesn't appear to be ending soon. An absolute disgraceful showing between millionaires and billionaires. While the rest of blue-collar America fights for every goddamn penny to support our families. Unfortunately, I don't see like this McGuire, Sosa, home run chase, or a Calvertian streak to repair the damage that these two sides are preparing to inflict on our freaking American birthright. And CMATs, I suggest you bunker down and start finding alternatives to Major League Baseball. Uh, get some college ball going, get some minor league action, take your kids outside, play a game of catch. Whoa, that's like deja vu all over again. Find, you know, find yourself a great baseball podcast show. And this looks like it could be bloody and long. And I'm just saying, when both sides are getting together in the same room for 15 minutes and then they leave, it doesn't take much of an IQ to figure out that uh, that was just long enough to tell each other to go fuck yourself. And I usually don't get topical in here or shoot off opening editorials about the state of today's game, but I'm finding it harder and harder to dismiss the horrific funk coming off that big dead elephant carcass lying in the middle of this goddamn studio. Believe me, I'm with you, Seamheads, all the way in the midst of this. And it's why I started this show. I could read the tea leaves months ago. I knew we were in for uh, dark times. And hopefully this isn't another 1994 uh, situation. Everyone involved knows. They got to know. That shit's not going to fly here in 2022. And speaking of 1994, I mean, let's get into why I'm really here. To bring you CMEDs together with these stories we love about our game. I want to thank all of you for your feedback on last week's show, The Death of the Montreal Expos. i got to admit I was very flattered by the positivity and excitement. And without MLB right now, I really appreciate the audience choosing Backwards K-Pod as an alternative uh, for their baseball crack. I, I, I'm never going to strike on you. I know what this game means to you because it means the same to me. I'm going to bring you top shelf liquor every Tuesday. I'm never going to Patreon you or crowdsource you for your nickels and dimes. I'm just going to keep bringing you that, that free smoke weekly. So, look, to keep this content free, all I ask is that you follow, comment, subscribe, download. We're all, we're, I'm available on all podcast platforms, so if you listen to Spotify or Apple, please rate me as you see fit. I ain't scared. And you can, you know, you can also catch me at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com. So, shields down, photons up, prepare to engage on this week, on this week's show. It's, it's a shortstop pod, and it's about the king and his court, and this is... I mean, this is just an amazing story. I'm so glad to have a platform to tell a story like this. 
I believe that the further we get away from the death of Eddie Fainer, uh, the story gets lost. And I don't think his story, his story should be lost. Yes, it's Fashman softball. And, uh, you know, to me, Fashman softball is just derivative, derivative of baseball, really. It's a, it's a cousin, a brother, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I got to admit that I played Fashman softball for 14 years. It was very, you know, pretty competitive situation. I heard the league before I got into it was much more competitive. I've slowly seen the sport die out because it's just hard to get young boys to pitch. So that's been what has killed the sport. But this is a story about one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Baseball, fastball, softball, you name it. This is one of the greatest pitchers ever. And in a sport world, a sports world that is driven by up to the minute statistical comparisons, Eddie Fainer dominated a sport like no one before or since. I mean, even the status of amazing athletes like uh, Jordan, Nicholas, Tom Brady. You know, you can go into a bar, you can go on a, a social site, you can say, they're the best ever. And it can be debated. And it will be debated. There will be people who say, no, 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 that's not true at all. But I'm going to tell you, there's no debate that Eddie Fainer was the best Fast pitch softball pitcher ever. His raw stats are head and shoulders above anyone else. And they will never be touched. If you stare at them long enough, your freaking head will become woozy with the mere thought of the enormity of them. In his 65-year career, the softball wizard pitcher, he performed before 17 million people. He traveled 4 million miles in over a hundred different countries worldwide. His staggering stats, they, they consist of 9,743 wins, 141,517 strikeouts, 930 per perfect games, and a winning percentage of 973. Just an amazing athlete. Fainter, he wasn't chopped liver when it came to swinging the bat. He, uh, he once hit 55 home runs in a 250-game season. And no one could ever have imagined that the boy from such humble beginnings, and I'm going to tell you all about it, that this person would go on to such unprecedented success and bring so much joy to so many people. And check it out. Merle Vernon King, he was born March 25th, 1925 in Walla Walla, Washington. And the details are sketchy, but upon his birth, he was abandoned on the steps of St. Mary's Catholic Hospital. He was adopted that very same day by a God-fearing religious woman who had lost a child in childbirth, and her name was Mary King. Mary's husband had left her during the Great Depression, and the child seemed to fill this void in her lonely life, especially after losing this child. She was a devout Seventh-day Adventist who raised her son in a strict religious environment. And during his child, he was, he was prohibited from watching movies or listening to radio. And he was basically, he was allowed to read the Bible and his school text. After he was finished with his chores, 
The youngster would escape to skip stones across a nearby river or throw rocks at bottles. And pretty much, he lived a poor and lonely childhood and was never accepted by the kids in the school. His classmates would mercilessly ridicule the boy, calling him names like Little Bastard. And they would beat the boy up, and they never had any social interaction with him whatsoever. And after years of living this abuse, he was befriended by a kid named Eddie Cotts. And upon watching these kids, they're dunking Merle in the river repeatedly, and Eddie had seen enough. And he came to the boy's defense, and nobody dared mess with Eddie Cotts. He was fast, he was strong, and he loved to fight. And from that day forward, no one ever messed with Merle for fear of retribution at the hands of his best friend, Eddie. His love for fighting would eventually cost him his own life at the age of 16 when a lumberjack stabbed him for talking to his girlfriend. However, before that, the two were inseparable during their childhood, and with Eddie in his corner, Merle slowly but surely began to feel this sense of empowerment, and he found the courage to be more extroverted in his demeanor. Instead of bullying him through the... Uh, Instead of bullying him, though, the other kids, they basically just ignored him now. And he would never get invites to participate in social functions. And quite honestly, that was fine on Merle, except for one thing. Merle wanted to play softball. The other kids would rather be caught dead than be seen with this homely bastard poor boy. And every day, his teammates play the game during uh, recess and... Merle would be seen sitting under a tree. He could be found there wistfully watching the kids, having so much fun hitting that ball and playing with one another. When Merle was eight years old, a half-Cherokee lad named uh, Mead Kinsler moved into his town. And because of Kinsler's racial background, the kids were just as open with their disdain for him as well. And a bond was formed between the two outcasts. So every day like clockwork, the boys would get together in Kinsler's yard and they would play catch until they couldn't see their gloves two inches from their face through the darkness. And the years of throwing stones have given Merle this powerful arm. And pretty soon the adults in the neighborhood took notice and they asked him to pitch in their softball league. Now, at the age of nine, he began pitching for a local team, and he was dominating players who were three and four times his age. We're talking 26, 27, 8, 9, 30-year-old men. And it's interesting to hear him tell the story because basically it started out as the construction company in Oregon had kind of this little rivalry with the construction, the construction company in Washington, and... Apparently, softball, it was huge in these communities back then. Um, when I say softball, I mean real softball, fast pitch softball. And it was a big thing. They didn't have Little League softball leagues then. So if you were a kid and you wanted to play softball, you better get your skills up and hope that these adults will let you play. Well, he never had to worry about this. He was pretty good from, you know, the time of just throwing rocks. So he begins uh, pitching for the local team. He's dominating players who are older than him. And with Mead Kinsler as his catcher, 
the two were pretty much unstoppable. By all accounts, the two would go on to be unbeaten for the next 13 years. However, upon the onset of World War II, like most American boys at this time, uh, Merle decided to lay that bat and glove down, join the Marines. But the young man was filled with like so much lonesomeness and sorrow, and inner demons began to take over his life. And because of his feelings of like abandonment, he turned to drinking. And many times in like drunken despair with uh, two failed marriages already under his belt, King attempted suicide. He slashed his wrist, he rammed his uh, jeep into a tree. He had continuous nervous breakdowns and most of the time was spent in and out of the hospital for numerous physical and psychological ailments. After a training exercise gone wrong, which left Merle suffering a concussed, cracked skull and numerous facial wounds, the Marines discharged him and just sent him home. So when he returns home, Merle decides to look for his mother, who had abandoned him. And one day, while rummaging through the Walla Walla Hall of Records, he came across an open letter from a Naomi Fainer. She claimed to have given birth to a baby boy on March 25, 1925, and she was desperately searching for him. Now, listen to this. Ironically, he had been cutting the lawn and running errands for this very same woman for two years without either one of them knowing about the other. In fact, it may have been discovered even a little bit before that because the mother one day was in church and she was looking at Merle, and she was proud of him, because Merle had a very IQ. He had like a 150 IQ. This is a very smart, intelligent, physical, physically capable boy. So he's impressing the town up in church, and one of the ladies turns to his, his uh, not his biological his mother, his adopted mother, Mary King. The lady turns to her, and she says, you must be so proud of your son. And she says... And it was probably the first time she ever said it out loud. She said, actually, he's not really my son. He was abandoned at the hospital and he was wrapped in a pink blanket. Well, come to find out, this was the grandmother that wrapped him in the blanket and, and got him prepared to be abandoned at the hospital. Just an unbelievable story. So then he's working for his mother for two whole years without them even knowing about each other. His mother had been left by his father after getting pregnant, and she was now in a better place. She, was, uh, she, she remarried a successful grocery store owner, and things were a lot better for her in her life, and now she felt like she wanted to look for her long-lost son. So on December 16th, 1945, the reunion was joyful for both mother and son, and Merle moved into her house immediately. And within days, Naomi brought her long-lost son a new car and a wardrobe of clothes. And a week later, Merle felt like a whole new person, and he had his name officially changed to Eddie Fainer. He took the mother's last name, and he assumed the name Eddie after his childhood chum Eddie Cotts. 
So, with a renewed vigor for life, Eddie puts all his focus on playing softball. And as he entered into his prime years, his arm had become even more powerful. He had refined his mechanics, and he began experimenting with these different wind-ups. His game was progressing at an astounding rate now. He had, <laughs> he had over 400 wind-ups with five different hand speeds. His curveball began dropping up to 18 inches. And his fastball was clocked at 104 miles an hour. He was untouchable. And that number, 104 miles per hour, it's even faster than that because the difference between, well, the major league mound is 60 feet, 6 inches, right? And I believe a softball is like 46 feet, I believe. So it's like a 15-foot difference there. 104 mile per hour fastball from that distance is like a major league pitcher throwing 140 miles per hour, folks. And I am not exaggerating. That is what the math says. A softball pitcher that pitches as hard as Eddie Fainer did, 104 miles per hour, in a distance of 46 feet or 45, whatever, I think it's 45 feet. That is the equivalent of 140 miles per hour from a major league pitcher. It's blindingly fast. And he's untouchable. He began striking people out with pitches behind his back. The teams he played for, they were going undefeated year after year. And by the time he's 13, 14 years old, they won't even let him pitch in the league no more. If he wants to play, he can play in center field because none of the sponsors for the other teams want to put up money if that kid is pitching. And that's horrible. If he'd have had his father in his life, I don't think that would have been acceptable because if you would have told me that my son is too good to pitch in your league, we would have had problems. And anyone who has played this game, they'll tell you that a pitcher who throws that hard at so many angles with confidence in his back pocket, that dude's a dangerous animal. In the spring of 1946, Fainer was pitching for uh, Killbug's Grocery. And they were taking on a team from a nearby neighborhood named Pendleton. I believe that Pendleton is on the Oregon side of the border, if I'm not mistaken. So, behind a perfect game from the arm of Eddie, Killbugs won the game 33 to nothing. And as the two teams were hanging together at a local bar, Team Pendleton began talking trash and offering excuses for the result of the game. And as a surly fainter was getting up to leave the establishment, a player from Pendleton called him a bastard and challenged him to a rematch. And Fainer, well, you know, he was trying to keep quiet the whole time. He really wasn't saying nothing. But this thing, when you call him a bastard, he really doesn't like that. And inside of him, that's like, that's like his trigger mechanism right there. You don't want to call him that. So Fainer just is like, look, man, I would take you on with just me and my catcher. But then you dudes would just walk us to and we wouldn't have no way to finish the game. But I will take you guys on with four players, and you guys can play me with all your dudes healthy, and I will still wear you out. 
thus setting the table of historical proportions for the king and his court. And after a few minutes of negotiation uh, in the middle of the small, stale bar, it was determined that the pitcher would be accompanied by 83 players of his choice. The two teams agreed to four players in case the bases were loaded, and there was a need for that fourth batter. Pendleton was expecting two players back from uh, injured legs in a couple weeks, so the game would be a week after their return. Now, Eddie Fainer and his three teammates, they dis disappeared behind the walls of Washington State Penitentiary for practice. And the curiously amazed inmates, they would stare for hours as the players were basically figuring out ways to make this team work. And meanwhile, the neighborhoods of Walla Walla and Pendleton, they're all abuzz over the challenge. And everyone was talking about the team that called themselves the King and his Court. And they're taking on mighty Pendleton with four men. The nerve of this guy. Well, finally the big day arrives. And to any surprise, over 400 people from the two hoods, they showed up to watch the game. And the king in his court won the game one to nothing. Eddie threw a perfect game. He struck out 19 of 21 batters faced. And during the last inning, with massive crowds looking on, Eddie was pretty much in cruise control. And he's feeling feisty. And in a moment of boredom and cockiness, Eddie struck out the last batter while pitching from second base. And the crowd went absolutely nuts. This is incredibly, uh, you know, the most ridiculous event that they probably ever saw. And while basking in of the glows of the team's accomplishment, the king knew at that moment he was on to something. And it was time for the king and his court to take their act on the road. And the team came up with a barnstorming tour where they would publicly challenge the best towns, uh, the best teams in town to a friendly 4-9 game of softball. It started out slowly because uh, the American Softball Association was banning their players from playing in these games. Uh, due to, they didn't want their guys to be embarrassed. But Eddie and the boys, they adopted red, white, and blue uniforms like the Harlem Globetrotters, and they would go town to town, issuing out the challenge to any and all takers. They would play in cow fields, airplane runways, basketball courts, prison yards, anywhere they could find. And as they played, they started getting an act together. They would mix in showmanship with stories and jokes. And the king began striking out people between his legs. And then he started striking out people from behind his back. And then he was blindfolded. That's right, folks. You heard me right. Blindfolded. And if you don't believe me, you can go to YouTube. This isn't like Sid Fitch. This is real. He would strike batters out pitching from second base, then from center field. And he had this great famous hit and ball trick that he used to do. And he would go through one of his 2,000 wide and he would uh, appear to pitch the ball. 
all the while throwing the ball in his glove behind his back. And the catcher who was in on the gag, he would jump up to obscure the umpire's vision while the batter would swing at a pitch that never happened. His skills were virtually limitless. And the gate receipts kept getting bigger and bigger. Finally, a team at Waverly, Florida, they decided to oppose the ASA's rules and they accepted the challenge from the king and his court with a $1,600 prize at stake. Waverly, honestly, they would have better they would have been better off holding on to that money and playing a nine-man team for free. Because Eddie, Eddie the court couldn't believe they were playing softball 3,000 miles from home, making a living, entertaining so many people, and they absolutely wore that Waverly team out. Long rides and station wagons, they gave way to buses. Fairgrounds and ball fields were turning into the Great Wall of China. Everywhere the king and his court went, they amazed and astounded the fans. It was a whole four years before anyone was able to beat them. And the king, with his Johnny Unitas buzz top haircut, he became the Barnum and Bailey of the softball vaudeville act. They would interact with the crowd, sell pins, pennants, programs, tell stories. And though the team was owned by the players, Eddie was the star. And through the years, the team took on various players. But the king never advocated his throne. He also, uh, well, he was on a couple TV shows. He performed on the Johnny Carson show. He knocked out a cigar out of Johnny's mouth, blindfolded. Yeah, that's right. You can see that on YouTube. In a 1967 exhibition game at Dodger Stadium, the Kings struck out Willie Mays, Roberto Clemente, Brooks Robinson, Willie McCovey, Murray Wills, Harmon Killebro in succession. Now, by my count, ladies and gentlemen, that's five Hall of Famers and the single-season record holder in steals until Ricky Henderson came along. And Lou Brock. Eddie was offered a contract from the Dodgers and the Giants to play Major League Baseball. He decided to pass. The Washington Redskins, they gave King a tryout. And listen to this. He threw a football 85 yards on the fly, as well as a 50-yard pass from behind his back. But Eddie's love was softball, and his passion was playing to the crowd. And like the consummate showman that he was, he had the greatest arm in the history of mankind, and he knew it. Wherever he would uh, be, he would be reminded of this. And he would simply shrug and say, being the greatest softball ever is like being the greatest noseblower ever. It's just... Not that big of a deal. And really, it must be so easy to be so coy when you've struck out 8,698 batters. Oh, while being blindfolded. Even when his 
arm speed started to decline, he was still able to dominate because of the filthy movement of the ball. And for 66 years, the king shut down almost all opposing batters he faced. In 2000, after recently being inducted in the Seniors Softball Hall of Fame, Eddie threw his last pitch, a perfect strike, at the opening softball game of the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, Australia. A day later, the King had a massive stroke. And though he didn't pitch anymore after that, he toured with the team as an MC until he died due to complications from dementia in 2007. His arm was donated to science after his death. And the king and his court, they still tour today. But the game is not predicated on wins and losses anymore. No one has an arm that could ever replace kings. The tour is now based on having fun and trying to keep the dying sport of fast-pitch softball alive. And it's funny because I can remember watching ESPN pimping out their greatest uh, 50 players of the 1900s. And I really find it insulting that a horse, the secretariat, was given a slot while a true human athlete like Fainer isn't on the list. And as amazing as secretariat was, I have one word for you. Horse. Okay? What this guy Eddie Fainer did was absolutely unbelievable. And I really... Enjoyed talking about it today. So there you have it, folks. Just an amazing story when you really think about it. I mean, how he found his mom and all. I mean, it's just crazy. And if you want to learn more about the king and his court, I suggest you go to YouTube. They got plenty of stuff there. A lot of old footage. You can go there check it out. I went on eBay. They have uh, Eddie Fainter autographs that range from $20 to $100 as well as uh, signed jerseys and stuff for sale, so you can go there and check it out. And just an amazing person, and I'm proud to dedicate this show to my first fast-pitch softball coach, Mr. Wayne Lawn Sr. Next week's show is on Nolan Ryan, the greatest power pitcher in MLB history. So we go to back-to-back power arms, Fainer and Ryan. And Ryan's story is going to be much longer than this. It has a lot of depth to it. And that's why I hit you with a shortstop pot this week. Uh, there's a lot of meat on those Nolan Ryan bones. And I'm going to bring it to you. But look, that's another story for another pod. Here at Backwards K Pod. Where we collect ball players and their story. Please remember to like, follow, share, subscribe. Check us out on Twitter at B-A-C-K underscore K underscore podcast. That's at back underscore K underscore podcast. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch, looking bored, down here in South Carolina on the lot on the island, the weather is starting to break and starting to look beautiful. By all means, take your kid outside and have a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and good night. <laughs>